up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You may be seated. We began a new series last week uh, called Seven Words. And David Moyer kicked it off by talking about forgiveness. I actually listened to that talk. I wasn't here. But absolutely brilliant talk. Freeing talk. Hope that it, it helped you. Hope that your journey with forgiveness is not just a one-time deal. It's something that we're constantly doing. So what we're doing as we're coming for six Sundays, uh, and then finally on Good Friday, is that we're gathering beneath the cross to listen to Jesus speak to us from the cross, kneel to that tree, words uttered in agony. For six weeks, we're gathering onto the cross to hear words from the cross, from Jesus. Even though he's in agony, he gives us freedom and hope. In this moment, this cross moment, as we sit below it to hear from the cross, this to me is the holy of holies of Christian scripture. It's absolutely the holy of holies of Christian scripture. The seven last sayings of Jesus from the cross. We want to hear what you want to say, Jesus. We want to hear from you today. And so today we've come to the second word. We're using words to sum up the phrase. And our word today is assurance. When Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me. In paradise, this is all about assurance. It's the longest of the seven. They're all very short. This one is just 13 words, 10 words in Greek, if you want to show off. But it's 13 words in English. So it's not, they're not overly long words, but they've actually got power and freedom to change our lives. So today, you shall be with me in paradise, is what Jesus said. These are words which Jesus spoke to one of those who were crucified. One of those who were crucified with him. You're familiar with the story. If you've grown up in Ireland at all, you'll be familiar with this story, even if you're not a churchgoer or mass goer, whatever your background is. Uh, you'll be familiar with this story. It's such a famous, famous story. And most of us um, think about it as the story of the two thieves, right? Anybody familiar with that? The two thieves or criminals or robbers. That's what we, we tend to say a lot. I want to help us understand just a little bit more this morning, because now we know a little bit more about these two men who were crucified on either side of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They're called robbers, yeah, they're called criminals, but recently scholarship has helped us understand what's actually happened and who these people were, which actually gives us a good insight this morning. There will be a point to it. Criminals, we, know, we don't know exactly what that meant at that time, but recently, I mean, over the past few decades, they found a word for this in the first century sources. So they find more context for this unusual word. And now we know it, it, it is criminal, but it's a bit more than that. We understand the word means insurgent or revolutionary, armed struggle, armed rebels. 
Here's how it works. Israel is in a t at this time is occupied by the Roman Empire, right? That's a historical fact. Whether you believe in Jesus Christ of Nazareth or not, as the Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth historically walked this planet. That's a fact. The Roman Empire did occupy Rome. That is fact. So you can imagine being held by an occupying force, a superpower. The inhabitants, they don't really like that much, right? As you wouldn't. Uh, and there are all sorts of ways they start to deal with this. Some actually collude with the powers to be. And the reason why they collude is that there's a, there's a, there's a profit. There's a lifestyle to be had. When you're in an occupying force, uh, when you're, sorry, when you're not in an occupying force, when you're being occupied by a force, then sometimes you just go with the flow. flow. You want to make life easy for yourself as much as possible. So what some people do is they start to collude with the Roman soldiers in the Roman Empire, and they, they want to make life a little bit more easier for, for themselves, and they want to prosper, and they want their families to, to prosper. You can judge them, but hey, if you're in the same situation, being downtrodden daily, you might, you might just do the same thing. I'm just saying that. Others wanted to resist by more molten means. And then some groups, the fanatical and the radical, they went to the wilderness and they formed an armed resistance. And how they resourced themselves, I find this quite interesting, they resourced themselves by robbing travelers. So they're a bit like uh, Robin Hood. What they did is they, they robbed travelers, but there was a bit of vengeance and in the robbing and in this resourcing themselves. They, they often robbed fellow Jews. Which Jews do you think they robbed? <laughs> those who colluded, right? Those who were making a bit of profit, those who were making a bit of gain. So they were more or less saying, well, stuff you, I'll show you. And so they robbed the ones that have the money, those who colluded. So it was a bit of a payback and they get their money and they survive and then they keep going on and on and on and on. Is this making sense? So they stayed from the wealthy ones who collaborated. That's what happened. So here we have it. What Rome does, these people have been captured and now they're crucified. And what Rome's doing is teaching a lesson to those who rebel against its authority. That's what they do. That's what crucifixion was about. Crucifixion was expensive to do. It wasn't the cheapest way to get rid of people. It was actually cost them money. So what they would do is they would crucify those who were rebels, those who were insurgents, those who had rebelled against authority, those who, they just didn't, crucify ordinary criminals all the time. It was an expensive way to execute people, so they saved it for those who were insurgents, those who rebelled against the authority. And here's the point of all that. All three men are being crucified at the same time. Why was Jesus crucified by the Romans? Here's why. We sang about it today. All their songs today had this common theme of kingship and kingdom. Jesus was crucified by the Romans because he claimed to be a king with a rival kingdom. Now do you see the picture starting to fall into place, right? He's a king claiming to be a king and he also claims to have a kingdom which is rival to Rome. That's why Pilate finally sentenced him. He's trying all sorts of ways to get out of it, but the execution finally comes around because he claimed to be a king that would be a rival to Caesar. And that's not good. So all three under the same sentence... But the one in the middle is unique because through the revolution, these other guys are revolutionaries, either side of him who engaged in, in a kind of rebellion. They belong to an armed militia. They're trying to resist the system. And they're trying to bring in this kingdom. But what happened, what's happening in their midst, in the middle actually, in the very middle, is this Messiah. The true king. The real king. King Jesus. 
Now, who's going to believe that he is the Messiah? Who's going to believe it at this time? Who's going to believe he's the Christ? Who's going to believe he's, he's the king because a crucified Messiah? Are you with me? A crucified Messiah is a field Messiah. A crucified Messiah is a fake Messiah. So this is the way Jesus goes about it. The mission and the purpose of the Messiah is to what? Bring the kingdom into fruition. Right? To bring about this kingdom. The kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God is one and the same mindset of those people who are about that time and who are listening to the voice and to all that Jesus Christ of Nazareth did. But, but a crucified Messiah is evidently a field Messiah. And of course, this was a problem that Jesus had. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. But the Jesus way just didn't add up sometimes, right? He's the Messiah, but he has a way. He's not overthrowing Rome. He doesn't have a military power. What are some of the ways that Jesus went about? Like his way is, is way different. Jesus says, I am the truth, the life, and the way. So if we're followers of Jesus, we want to follow the way of Jesus. And some of the things that Jesus did, it looks like a field Messiah. He hung out with tax collectors, prostitutes, eating, drinking, glutton, right? He had a reputation because he was either going to a house to eat or coming from a house to eat. We're talking about eating. This was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. His way was totally different. There was a problem. Jesus, we have a problem with you. You're claiming to be Messiah, but your way seems utterly different. Utterly peaceful. Here he is, numbered among men. Numbered among who? Criminals. He, he chooses to walk in our shoes. He chooses to number himself with us. And that's a lesson for the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. That we have, we have obligation. We have a way to be with others who don't believe as we believe. We have a mandate. We have a way to walk with others who are, who are outcasts, who are outside of the story of Jesus. And even outside of our belief systems, he was numbered among them. So Jesus doesn't take the path they perceived he should in their imagination. In their imagination, they've got to overthrow the oppressors, the Roman occupant force, but he doesn't do that. And some start to waver, right? Some think, is it really true? Could he really be? You remember a guy called John the Baptizer? Baptist was in his surname. All right. It was just something he did, and everybody just assumes John the Baptist. That was just like Jason Scott, right? But he was a baptizer, okay? And, and John is, he's convinced, we talked about it a few, a few weeks ago, we talked about identity and calling, and how John was convinced that this was his purpose to make the way and pave the way for the Messiah. But do you remember his statement when he's in prison, when the Roman occupying force put him in prison? What did he say? Is this kingdom coming? Is this the gig? Is Jesus the Messiah? And Jesus doesn't go and visit him. Jesus goes and sends the disciples to go. So when John is asking, Jesus is healing. When John is asking, is this the Messiah? Jesus is healing, demonstrating the kingdom of heaven among them. It's a different way, but it's the Jesus way. Are you with me? Now rejected, mocked and beaten, and being barbarically crucified. How could they believe now? How could you believe? I mean, if we're sitting here, we've got the full picture, we've got this library of 66 books, we've got experience, we've got historical fact and evidence and all that to say that Jesus died, rose again, and he is the Messiah, and we're walking in this wonderful grace. But to be there at that time, if you actually engaged and actually got your hopes built, your hopes at this moment might feel a little dashed, right? 
It's a given. You might start to say, could it be? The crowd, not all, some mocking. Oh, if you're the Messiah, and this was stirred up by the religious establishment. They're stirring, isn't it amazing how, do you ever, do you ever go, sorry, football's my word. Do you ever go to a match and, and you, just feel, you just get caught up in the nonsense? Like people start abusing referees and lines. I don't, I'm just giving an example. <laughs> I got, I'm a chaplain of, of Dungan Swiss. I got a text last, last week. And one minute I panicked, but then I realized it was a text sent out to everybody. It says, please go into the referees and linesman's linesman room this week and encourage them and say you're praying for them. And I thought, is he having a go at me? But it was for, for all the chaplains throughout, throughout the Premier League. But it's amazing how when you get whooped in this stuff and then all of a sudden, you know, like, it's like, it's negativity actually as a pulling force, isn't it? When people start to complain and criticize, it's so easy to get sucked into it, isn't it? I mean, you just jump into the negativity, into the, the slander sometimes. In this case, slander and mockery. This was intense. So the religious people, they, they, they stir this up. They start to whoop it up. And then one of the criminals, he pushes down on his weight. So the cross of Jesus Christ and of these two um, insurgents, when we think about the cross, you know, when you look at the, the movies and, uh, and all that stuff, you know, you, you always see that they're looking up to Jesus and two crimp, don't you? It's like they're way up high, but actually they're not way up high at all. They're like two foot off the ground. So what happens is your lungs start to, start to fill up. And so to get any, any words out at all, this is why this is so important. When Jesus, this is historical fact that Jesus was crucified, by the way. You've got to choose whether he was Messiah or not. So for these guys to speak at all, they've got to push down on their feet, which are nailed. Hands nailed agony. They've got to push down. Sorry, it's graphic, but it is the truth. They push down, get all the weight off themselves just to, just to get their lungs released so they can actually speak. So he takes the time, the criminal, the insurgent, the rebels, he, this one guy, he pushes down in pain what to do to mock with the crowd. You think like if you're going to use, you're going to use your pain in this moment, use it constructively, right? But he does, and he uses it to mock, to mock, and to join and cheer and jeer. He pushes down, and then the other one spoke. He lifted himself up, and he looked not at Jesus, but right past Jesus. Work with me, stay with me, get into the, get into this moment with me. He looks past Jesus, and he more or less says, "Shut up." He rebukes him. So a rebuke, usually in the scriptures, usually when Jesus rebukes a wound and rebukes, it's not just like, stop, it's like, shut up, it's aggressive, it's, it's actually, you know, it's front foot, it's not a defensive thing, it's not an apologetic thing, it's actually, shut up! So he pushes down, he says, shut up, this man has done nothing, he's done no wrong. Then he looks at Jesus, again, pushing down, filling his ears, his lungs with air, remember me when you come into your your kingdom. This is so important. In this moment, hi, I don't know, but I hope it fills you with faith this morning and optimism and assurance. In this moment, he has more faith than anyone else there. More faith than anybody else standing at that cross, at that crucifixion scene. Watching Jesus dying beside him, believing he is still going to bring the kingdom. Guys, this is more than asking to go to heaven. He is saying, reign and be king. Do you see how, how often we reduce the gospel to sanitize it? 
and to domesticate it and to fit it into our politics and our small-mindedness and everything else so that it, it fits around the periphery of our life so that we can work Jesus into our preferences and our belief systems and our politics and everything else. But this one man who pushes down two feet off the ground, puts a pain, excruciating pain in his feet, pushes up and says, be king and reign. It's powerful. He has in his mind somehow, I don't know, that from the cross Jesus would bring the kingdom. That's what he's saying. You're still the Messiah. Everybody else is cheering, mocking and doubting. Right? But I'm believing. I see. I see and I ask, bring your kingdom. Reign, King Jesus. Bring your kingdom. Well, that the church in Ireland would still be that voice today. The voice of a beautiful and kind rebellion to be counterculture and they say in the, in the space in this life in this world Jesus be king be king and reign be king and reign in every situation coronavirus politics instability be king and reign be king and reign and so it prompts Jesus to speak up 13 words in English, 10 words in Greek. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus responds, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I have just two very short points today. And I hope, hope that more than anything today, more than understanding, more than knowing that you experience the love and the hope and the assurance that this Christian gospel brings us today. That Jesus is king and his kingdom is among us. First thing I get out of this is remember me. Remember me. Don't remember me for my sin. Don't re- remember me for, my, for my, what I've done for Robin. Don't remember me for, for what, what label is on me. He's already confessed that he's guilty, doesn't he? He says to the guy, one criminal says to the other criminal, we have done wrong. He's done nothing. That's confession right there. We have wronged. We're, we're duly. We've got what we're, we're getting. We've got what's coming to us. And that's right, but this man's done nothing, so he's confessed that he's guilty. He doesn't want to be remembered for what he's done. He wants to be remembered for himself. He wants to be remembered for himself. Remember me. One of the greatest, greatest offenses and sins in life, I think, in our 21st century is how utterly forgettable we are. How utterly forgettable we are. Your human relationship is eternal, and yet we are so forgettable. So forgettable. Oh, people remember what you've done. People remember the labels. People remember all sorts of things. But do they actually remember you? Remember me, Jesus. Remember me. You want to be known. There's a deep human longing to be identified and remember. That's why we sometimes cringe, don't we, when people don't remember our names. It's not that it's an awkward moment, but it's like, oh, you forgot me already. Right? Like I, and it's not just that the forgetting the person's name. It's actually, it's deeper than that. It's actually, sometimes we just forget who people are. I'll show you how forgettable we are, right? Just to lighten the mood up here, just a little bit. And this will encourage you no end. Right, just start naming your grandparents. Quickly, tell me your grandparents. Not a theological test or anything. Like you know, there's always there's always one grunting around that. Jesus, what did you learn in church today? Jesus, God, 
tell me, just shout out their names. What's your grand and grandest name? Charles and May. Albert. Albert. Very posh to sit around. Charles and May and Albert, yes. No cities or Maisie's or Lily's, no. Maisie. Prophetic word for you. Anybody else? This side. Who? Maisie as well. We're on this often. I call my scooter Maisie, by the way. Anybody else? This side, Larry. What's your grand and grandest names? William, George, Sadie. Sadie. I like that. Patrick, Patrick what? Patrick Rosina. Very nice. Whoop. Okay. How are we doing? Great, great grandparents. Let's go quickly. Just great, great grandparents, guys. Well, you're cheating. They're all called George. For the last six generations. Come on, you great, great grandparents, quickly, this side. Yours? Sorry? A little quiet. Hey? Thomas, great, great grandparents. Right? Margaret. You're cheating. Great, great, great grandparents. Okay, okay. So my point is all right, come, come, come back in, come back in. It's going to get serious again. When we get to fourth generation, we're forgotten. We're forgettable. And everybody sees it and remember great. But I know it's a kind of silly thing to do, but it's a very serious thing. So turn the tables. How are we going to be? Who's going to remember us four generations later, right? Well, they might see a picture of you, but the facts are too. How many people actually print pictures anymore? Huh? It's going to be in some device. It's out of date, right? <laughs> and you're going to know a man who can get that sorted for you. And take it from digital age to hologram and uh, let you see that, right? His prayer, back, back to the cross. His prayer for salvation. This is, this, I want you to hear this this morning. Let it, let it not just sink into your minds, but let it go into your souls. His prayer for salvation is to be remembered. Salvation is more than a ticket to heaven. Salvation is to be remembered. To be remembered. He understands that salvation is to be remembered by Jesus. So that even if we're forgotten generations later or sooner. And even if a century from now no one knows or that you ever lived. We are. You are. Remembered by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's beautiful. Such, such, such good. I just love the gospel of Jesus. Hey. This 33 year old rabbi messiah. Was utterly brilliant. And lovable. To be remembered by Jesus is salvation. Did you hear that? That's salvation right there, guys. So we have made it our gospel too small that we say a prayer and we go to heaven. But to be remembered, salvation. Salvation is to be remembered by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. To be remembered. It's remember me, Jesus. He doesn't want to be remembered by the label criminal. Soren Kierkegaard said, once you label me, Sorry, once you label me, you negate me. Once you start doing that, once you label me, you negate me. I think he's absolutely right. Labels dehumanize people. Labels treat people as a thing, not a person. If I actually look back in my life, one of the greatest negative labels that I carried for years and years was stupid through school. And it stuck with me. And I thought, this is, I'm always going to be remembered as stupid. So I want to ask you, what, what is it? 
What is the labels that you've got plastered over you? What is the negative label that, that follows your name? What's the negative label that follows throughout your life? It might be someone's called you a walkover. Now nah, they're easy touch. They're always taking advantage of you. You're lazy. Oh, they're a responsible one. Hothead. Never good with money. Never grew up. But these labels just stick and stick and stick. Listen, Vineyard, people are not labeled. People are to be known. People have the deep human need. To be Christian is to be human. To be human is to be known. Salvation is to be remembered. It's very, very important. He wants to remember. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And his kingdom is not a kingdom of labels, but a kingdom of names. Do you know that? Do you know the job of the church is in the 21st century? Give people a name. To give the nameless a name. The orphans, the confused, the anxious, the lonely, the forgotten. Our job in the 21st century is to name people and to give the unnamed a name, whatever name they need. And that name could be wanted, accepted, son, daughter, caring, kind, generous, merciful. The job of the church in the 21st century, we live in a nameless, non-identifiable society. And the job of the church in the 21st century is to be a people who name those without a name. Remember me when you come. The beast wants to give you a number. Not a physical number. Jesus wants to give you a name. The beast wants to put a number on you. The lamb wants to give you a name. The lamb wants to give you a name. So we label people so that we can negate them, right? So we can forget them. So that we don't have to listen to them because they don't believe in our side of the argument. Do you ever do that? I just put them in. Just label them. Ah, they don't know. They're this, they're that. Let's put the label on them because they don't agree with our side of the argument. They don't believe in our belief system. So we label them so therefore we don't have to remember them. We don't have to engage with them. We don't have to give them a seat at the table. So the man prays, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, you know what that word means? Just that brilliant, it just means amen. Yep, yep, amen. Truly means amen. It's true. Amen. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Remembering and reassurance. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hope and reassurance. The thief, the rebellious one, he asked to be remembered by Jesus. Amid all the mockery. Against him. Everyone's derating him. Challenging him. Mocking him. Still one person looks. Believes. And therefore asks for reassurance. It's a great, great help for us this morning. That when, when, the, when we're in a world. Just to be remembered by the king. And enter his paradise. It's a beautiful thing. What is the paradise? The paradise is language. is just so familiar to that 
culture in that time, first century. Anytime you mentioned paradise, they would automatically conjure up in their thinking because it was painted all through their temples, all the, the, the ornaments and all the, the art and tapestry and all the creatives. They were constantly painting pictures. Do you know what they were painting pictures of in the temple? Because it was a remembrance thing again. What do you think it was? Paradise. What do you think it equals when you hear that word? Paradise. Want me to tell you? Just save time. Garden. Garden. What kind of garden do you think? What are they remembering? Eden. Eden. It's just common. They're thinking of Eden, a place of pleasure, a place of how it should be, a place of remembering, a place of life, a place of intimacy. And that's what they're thinking about. He looks, he believes, and asks for reassurance. And, and, and he gets it. He gets it. It's a new creation. He's asking for reassurance of his hope that he'd be remembered by this king who's dying next to him. That's the theme. And I love this interaction. I love that this is the assurance, the hope. Last week we talked about forgiveness peace. Do you remember that? If you were here, if you, can't, if, you, if you weren't here, you can pick it up online. David talked about the forgiveness piece. Here in this moment is the extension of forgiveness. This is the extension of forgiveness. Brilliant minds, brilliant scholars would say this is a forgiveness piece. I would say it's not, a for, it's not just a forgiveness piece. It's actually the extension of forgiveness. What develops from mercy is access to assured hope. What develops from this mercy is access to an assured, or assurance sorry, of hope. Sounds interesting, Jason. Brilliant. What do I do with it? Monday morning makes much or little difference to me. So what are we doing? Are we just sitting here today and then we just wait and wait and wait till we draw our last breath, receive the promise of Eden? Yes and no. Yes, we have hope of being with Jesus when we die. That's good. Can, can, I want you to actually engage with that. Like, think about what the ultimate, the ultimate thing in life is death, right? I've done the math. 100% of people are still dying. That's a given, right? Not being flippant, but we all die. Now, if death is taken out of the equation, can you see the power that that gives the follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? That even the final word... Even the final, 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 final thing, the big thing in life, as hard and painful as it is, when it's taken away, we are an unstoppable force. We live in such freedom and such hope, such assurance. So we move. We have peace now. We have peace in paradise. And we have peace in the future resurrection of the dead. Peace, peace, peace. Yes, we have a hope of being with Jesus, the garden and the resurrection. But there's the reality that when Jesus says today, today, there's this word that Jesus says, and we just miss it and we could walk past it. But this today is the same phrase that's used in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus walks into the temple, this young 30-year-old at that time, Rabbi Messiah, they give him a scroll. He walks into this place of worship. They hand him a scroll. It's from Isaiah, and he starts to read about today. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Right? Lame walk, blind see. Captives are freed. This is the year of the Lord. And then he says, today, 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Is that's, 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 what is he saying? As soon as you hear the words, it's happening. As you can hear the words, as you hear me speak today, this scripture that I've just read, Isaiah, is fulfilled in your hearing of it. So as fast as sound travels, that is the immediacy of the kingdom. That is the immediacy of salvation. Isn't it good? I think so. I love it. I love Jesus. I think he's the best thing ever. I know he's the best thing ever. Salvation is immediately when we look, when we see, when we believe that Jesus is king and that the kingdom has come. It's future hope, right? It gives us an assurance that there's future hope that we can rest in this paradise. And we could talk all day about that. But we won't. When we believe that Jesus is king and his kingdom has come, it's future hope and it's also present hope right now. Right here. The reason somebody is healed from stage four cancer is because the kingdom has come. It's because they're tasting the power of the age to come. Because in heaven there's going to be no sickness, no cancer, no poverty, no, no abuse, no injustice, Right? And Hebrews tells us that we taste and experience a part of the coming age. Hebrews 6, 5, I think it is. We get to taste that here now because salvation is not out there somewhere. Salvation happens the moment we turn, look, believe, and see. Right? Are you with me? It's that criminal again. We, when we get the eyesight of the kingdom, when we have ears to hear and eyes to see, Kathy Harvey, that's the best way to say it, ears to see and eyes to hear. <laughs> Just joking. Well, you still got to keep doing the announcements, I hope. But when we have ears to hear and eyes to see, then the kingdom is actually accessible to us right now. That salvation is more than us breathing our last breath and going to heaven. That we actually see a king and know that he can bring a kingdom. We see a king, we know he has a kingdom, and he can bring it. Let's not play small, church. Let's not play small. These words of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who pushes down, fills his lungs with breath to tell us today you will be with me in paradise does give me assurance and hope but yet it also opens my eyes to see and to know that it is possible at any given time for the kingdom of heaven to break in in any given situation. Look, see, believe in King Jesus. So he knows you. Not what you've done. Not with the labels of society or parents or systems, or cultures, or empires. But by you, who he formed, who he made. He remembers you, not your mistakes. You're known, and you're remembered in a forgotten and a forgettable culture. With a future hope of peace and a garden, and a hope, a sure hope of a resurrection. And that will just tilt your head on itself. And here we know because today you will be with me in paradise that we have access to King Jesus. Listen, our gospel is Easter Sunday. Our gospel is more than Good Friday. Our gospel, without resurrection, our gospel is Easter Sunday. We have a king. We have a king right now who has a kingdom. Right now. And when we choose to look and to see and to believe that he is the king and he has a kingdom, 
then we get to experience and taste the goodness of God right now, in this moment, in the weeks, in the days, in the months, regardless of all that's going on in our culture, regardless of the news, Twitter, Facebook, all of that, regardless of the statistics and the rise of anxiety and everything else, right now we have a king and a kingdom. Should we choose to look, see and believe? Would you stand with me this morning? Two miracles today you heard. One was a cancer story. One was this four minutes past 12 and I've stopped speaking. 